0: Welcome to the Lorene Kren podcast. I am your host, Lorene Kren. My mission is to help men and women all over the globe understand masculine and feminine dynamics to experience deep intimacy. Deep intimacy is not just about having amazing, enlightened sex, but as well the ability to create deep trust and safety in your intimate life, both as the masculine and the feminine. This podcast is unlike most podcasts out there. It is unapologetic, it is radical, and you will receive immense value from every single episode. Thank you for being here. Welcome to episode 69 of the podcast. Today, Cam Fraser is joining me. Cam is a certified professional sex coach, certified sexologist, registered counselor and registered tantric yoga teacher. His work integrates scientifically validated, medically accurate information about sexual health with sacred sexuality teachings from the mystery traditions. As a coach, he helps men go beyond surface level sex and into full-bodied, self-expressed, pleasure-orientated sexual experiences free of anxiety or shame. He's currently offering a course a six-week course that is called outperform a porn star a six-week course to maximize your pleasure and take your sex life to the next level to shift your shame around pleasure experience multiple non-ejaculatory orgasms take charge of your sexual energy and learn how to share this all with your partner the link is in the show notes otherwise simply type in CamFraser.com, or you can find him also through the stories in my Instagram Cam Fraser, CamFraser, C A M F R A S E R. And on the website, you will find his amazing. Course, this is gone. This this was such a powerful episode, guys. I really cannot wait for you to listen to it. We dive deep into the topics which are in our collective sexual shadows. The topics that people, most people, are embarrassed to talk about, too embarrassed to talk about. And we really, this is, in my opinion, this episode is. The whole entire episode is healing for our sexual shadow. So I strongly recommend you to take the time to receive this and listen to the entire episode. Thank you so much for being here. Cam Fraser, my brother, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for joining us here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, and um, I want to jump right into it. How did you become Australia's leading men's sex coach because i mean that's it's just when i look at what you're doing it's just incredible and it also the work you do it's so incredible researched as well it's like you fuse science with all kinds of different teachings which you can elaborate more on but it's just it's just incredible so i'd love to i'd love if you can tell the audience more about how you how you how did it all start and how did you become that
1: Thanks, man. Thank you for the invitation to share. I um, I guess I'll firstly say, it's not a big it's not a big cohort to to <laughs> to to compete against in in Australia. There's some amazing men doing this work, but there's only about three or four of us um in Australia as as sex coaches or sexuality coaches. So. Um, the and I'll, I'll try and be concise with this story but it, it it did start when I was in my mid to late teens I actually left Australia to go and play soccer at a college in America and um, whilst I was this student athlete I was also um, you know, I was studying as well because I was a student athlete and um, so I was playing soccer and I was studying psychology and um, I was really interested in I was really interested in human behaviour. I was really interested in sexuality, in particular. Like, who's not interested in sex at the, you know, the late teenage age? Um, and so I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of study sex and sexuality um, with regards to like my psychology degree. And I was at the same time I was studying. I was also um, you know, part of this like American fraternity locker room kind of macho athlete jock <laughs> culture that um, you probably. Pretty familiar with if you yeah. watch any kind of any, any american movies i suppose it's, it's often a stereotype um and so i had this like really strong sense that i had to conform to one particular way of being a man of you know being good at sport of sleeping with lots of women lots of young women um drinking a lot uh i had to like perform like my my, my masculinity in a sense that i was you know being this this alpha male type of guy, um, and that caused a lot of internal conflict for me because that's not how I saw myself. That wasn't actually my identity. I felt like I was putting this mask on to not get ostracized, to not get bullied, to not de- to not get teased, to not be called a wimp or a pussy or a, a faggot or, or whatever this you know ostracizing and, and demeaning language was that guys would use if you stepped outside of that way of showing up as a man. Um, And so this started, like, this internal conflict really affected my ability to, well, it it affected my mental health, firstly, um, but it also affected my ability to, like, express and explore my sexuality. And I found myself um, suffering from premature ejaculation, from uh, suffering from erectile dysfunction, and uh, really struggling to connect intimately with the young women I was being sexual with. And it was... It was just, it was a shit show to be honest with you. Like, I, I was just, I was all over the place. I was looking for role models. The only role models back then, this is about 10, 10 or so years ago, the only role models that were talking about sex in any capacity were pickup artists and these like really gross dating gurus um, who, like, re- quite misogynistic and treated women like, you know, objects and you had to, you know, coerce them into bed essentially. Uh, and so I kind of fell into that community because that was the only, the, that were the only role models I had, you know, the only guys that were talking about sex in any way at all were these guys. Um, and, and so it was a, a period of, you know, four years or so as well. I was also drinking a lot of alcohol you know, for about four years. I, I didn't have one sexual experience sober. Everything that I did sexually was oh, you know, was also fueled by alcohol. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a rough four years and, um, I had this i had this serious injury and i i seriously injured my back actually my spine and so through my rehabilitation process for my back injury i was introduced to pilates and to yoga and to meditation and it, it was you know the first time in 17 18 years that i'd actually slowed down and listened to my body and noticed what i was feeling and it gave me an opportunity to then process that as well you know i was, I was seeing a counselor seeing a psychologist as well and I was noticing the feelings that I was having and then I was able to process them as well. And not only, uh, I guess, intellectually, conceptually, but also somatically with my body by mm-hmm. releasing tension. Uh, and I noticed that by doing that, I was having better sex. I was not coming so quickly. I was actually able to maintain an erection. I was, I was enjoying myself more. I was able to communicate and, and open up to the people I was being sexual with. So they had a better time. And I started, you know, I, I kind of turned a corner. I thought well there's something in this you know there's something that you know, there's something to yoga there's something to breathing there's something to psychology and talk therapy um but they're all in these separate different categories right they're like if you're a yoga teacher um, <laughs> yeah they don't do psychology right but if you're a psychology professor you don't know anything about yoga and it was this like weird you're either one or the other um, but i was really interested in like the the overlap kind of always think of this big venn diagram with all these different circles uh each representing a modality and they all overlap in the middle um and that's what i was really interested in was that that middle piece where they all kind of reach the same the same goal the same conclusion which is um which is transformation right they're all they're all about transforming your life and i was really fascinated by by that philosophy or that idea and so I, i i you know, graduated university and just went and studied i was really interested in like all these different types of teachings anything from plant medicine down in south america to um uh, i studied buddhism in northern thailand to uh, i went to um, india and studied some kundalini yoga as well as, as well as classical tantra i was in california for a bit doing some quote-unquote californian tantra or neo-tantra stuff um i was doing you know, psychology workshops and sex education workshops and was like really interested in in just pursuing all of this so became a yoga teacher um went and did a postgraduate degree in sexology got my certifications in counseling started working as a counselor trying to bring in these modalities um worked as a yoga teacher as well trying to find my feet in what this you know industry kind of was for me and then over the course of about five years um really honing in what it was that I was passionate about what it is that I wanted to talk about what I could speak to on authority which was my lived experience right as a as a straight white dude you know um and and so that's like i guess to get to the point where i am today that's what my message is i suppose and that's the that's the the person who i try to speak to is is myself 10 years ago right the the boy who needed a man to model sexuality to model healthy masculinity to to talk openly about all these things and to not do it in a judgmental way to not do it in a shaming way to do it in a in a healthy beneficial way um and so that's the work that i'm doing right now man is is as a men's sex coach specifically talking to to men about their sexuality um it's the bane of my existence trying to get guys to actually listen to me because there's a whole lot of stigma and taboo around men and and their sexuality and their sexual exploration but um that's as much as a nutshell as i can put it in man that's my journey to where i am today
0: Yeah, I love that, man. Thank you. What really stands out for me is, I mean, I'm sure many people when they see you now, they see you like, oh, wow, man, that's this sex god who has figured everything out. And it's, I'm sure it is because I mean, most likely you are brother, you are an embodiment of that. And, but still, It's so incredibly humbling. And I believe that helps so many people out there to hear that you struggled with erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation. I mean, this is very important, especially for us men. I think you would agree here is... When we see someone, we easily put them on a pedestal like they have got it figured out, right? But that people hear, okay, you have went through that lived experience. You have shifted. You've had a background. You had all of that. And now you are here. Now you're doing this work. That's that's just fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. And, and I think one of the reasons why my work has been so well received by, um, by, my, by men, I suppose, is because I feel like, regardless of your like regardless of your story or your socioeconomic status or your like of like where you were born what country you're in your religion like we go through similar things you know we have have the same experiences there's there's guys you know like premature ejaculation doesn't discriminate you know there's not one race or class of people that doesn't (laughs) Men in general just get with erectile dysfunction like it's it's a universal experience and so Um, i try and tap into those universals with regards to experience right yeah Um, because i think it's a pretty common story regardless of where you're from
0: yeah and what also stands out for me is that you are able to talk about really in-depth stuff on social media and i mean I'm not sure how it was for you, but when I first started talking about sex, there was this kind of edge, there was this kind of resistance. And when I look at you, it's like a, it's the work of a pioneer because you're sharing about things that almost no one is sharing in such an open, in such an incredible, powerful way. How was that journey for you that to, to start sharing these things? Was there some resistance or did you write from the start where you're like, whatever, I can share about anything in the world. I feel super confident.
1: Yeah, I wish that was the case, man. Yeah. I, um, I, I did, definitely had resistance when I first started yeah. talking openly and online and using my own personal account to talk about this. Like there was for a while, I had a, my business account, which didn't of have course. any affiliation with me at all. Um, but then I, I dissolved that into my own personal account as I became more comfortable. But um, when I first started, even when I first, not even the sexuality stuff, when I was first interested in psychology and philosophy and started just talking about little extra things, particularly stuff like plant medicine and spirituality, I started noticing the friend group that I had or the people that I'd been really close with at that age, at that time of my life, slowly drift away and distance themselves from me um, just because they, they were on a different path. They, they were doing one thing, I was doing something else. And, um, a, and so there was a period of time there where I felt quite lonely, especially like in terms of men in my life. There was a period of time where um, I had to really be mindful of not trying to um impress men because i had this desire to have male friends and even like a male mentor i, can, I only very recently had someone who i could consider a male mentor um, for a long time i didn't really have one and uh, i had to be mindful when i did meet other guys that were you know further along the path than i was to not put them up on a pedestal as you were just kind of referring to and um and to not like I had this weird, like, I was trying to impress my dad type energy with these guys. Mm. Um, and so th- that's just a little sidebar. But um, what, what I'd notice is a lot of these people that first distanced themselves from me, now 10 years later, uh, not all of them, but some of them have reached back out and they've said, hey, we've been following you this whole time. You know, I haven't commented on a post, haven't liked anything, haven't responded or, or you know, replied to any of your whatever call-outs. But just wanted to say, uh, you've been there, I've been noticing, I've been reading your posts and look, I, I've got a question. You know, I need some help. I don't know what to do with this scenario. Yeah. And like these, these guys, they don't have anyone else to talk to. And, and I often, I get messages like every day. I get messages from guys. Um, you know, I probably on average get about 20 messages a day from guys who, do, who don't know who to talk to. Like they, they follow me online. They, you know, they said they've been following me for a little while and they're not sure who, who else to turn to mm. They've got this kind of issue. Uh, and they now unload it, you know? And, um, I had to put a post up on social media recently about setting boundaries and, and saying, look, if you want to share something with me, please ask, you know, please, yeah. please, please send me a message first and say, Hey, I've got an issue. Do you mind if I just type it out and send this to you? And, um, even that simple asking can can help me get into a space of being like, yeah, cool, I'm ready to receive this because um, a lot of messages get, come into my inbox and, it's, and it, it's, a, it's an essay of all the stuff that's going <laughs> on in this person's life, um, sexually, I suppose. Yeah,
0: especially- but what this shows is incredible. Sorry to interrupt you here, but what you're speaking about here is incredible because it shows that there is this tsunami of emotions and that there's this intensity and it's like, whoa. This is, there's such an intensity there.
1: Yeah. 100%, man. That's, that's what I had to like come to, to, to terms with is these, like people don't have anyone else to talk to. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no one, like no one is talking about this stuff online. Right. As you were saying before, like there's only a few people out yeah. there that are, that are um, open about this. And so these, you know, so people follow that and they go oh my god this person finally someone's talking about this i've got to i have to ask them i've got no one else to turn to which is very humbling but also very sad you know yeah that, that there's not uh, no one else that they can feel comfortable talking to so they they message a, a, a stranger right a person yeah. on the internet um and and share these really intimate things with them which again like is really really humbling and i feel really like privileged to be able to mm. speak to people at, at such a deep level um but at the same time i'm like man you know there needs to be more people to talk to, then it's yeah. people open about this sort of stuff.
0: I I can totally relate because I experienced the exact same thing. It's like these essays of sometimes about, of course, in my realm, it's also just about the relationship. But there is also these really essays about sexual issues, deep problems, and it's like, what on earth do I do? And yeah. people writing, it's ruining ruining my relationship. And mm. and also the other thing I wanted to touch upon is what is definite intensity and why you and I would, I'd say, are pioneers and talk openly about this because there is always a kind of risk involved, right? Because if it doesn't get successful, if it doesn't get the traction we need, if it doesn't earn us enough money to live our life properly, it does have an effect on our on a different career path. Because I mean, if you go out there and talk openly about sex, which is which is sad that it's like that, but still it is like that, and then you would go, you would start as a business consultant, and people will dig into your Background And be like, hey, that's the dudes, Laureen who talks about how to fuck a woman consciously. That's the dude, Cam Fraser, who talks about um, that your cock doesn't need to be firm all the time when you make love, right? But for us, it's normal, right? It's, it's this deep conscious, deep inner work, but still it has an effect. So I think that is also one of the reasons why it's so, why they're so few people only talking about this work simply because it's such an edge and there is always this thought this thought that no one talks out loud but there is this thought okay what happens if if i don't succeed in this mm. what if i what if i'm not able to um let's say Quote, unquote, live a normal life, can live a normal life with that because it will have an effect on me. And I can so relate also at the beginning when I started talking about it, it were like people were like weirded out. What the fuck is this guy doing talking about sex? And now it's the complete opposite. It's like people reaching out from from out of nowhere, years ago, like, Hey man, what you're doing is so amazing. I always believed in you. Haha, <laughs> I'm sure you always believed in me, <laughs> motherfucker. No, I'm just kidding. I'm saying this in an empathetic way, but I just know they didn't believe in me because I would have seen it, but yeah, I, I so relate to that and thank you for saying that, brother. Um, Jumping on a, on a different topic, you say that you work in the realms of sacred sexuality. That's correct, right? We, we could say in the realms of sacred sexuality. How would you define for the audience what sacred sexuality is in your own unique perspective? Because, I mean, it's trendy now. So many people talk about it and it's a little bit vague. Okay, what is sacred sexuality? I'd love to hear that from Cam Fraser personally.
1: Yeah, so my definition of, unfortunately, my definition of sacred sexuality is uh, is actually quite vague and the mm-hmm. reason why is because sacredness is like who am i to dictate what is sacred to you and what is sacred to another person and what is sacred to me like the only thing i can have control over is what i deem sacred right and so sacred sexuality to me is like okay what am i in terms of my sexuality with regards to how i express it with regards to how i experience it both alone and with a partner how do I bring what I define as sacredness into, into that, right? Um, and and so sacred sexuality for you, um, you know, Lorraine or for, for one of my clients is is personally defined as what you deem sacred, right? So like if I offer my own examples here of, of like what my personal practice is, um, like sacred sexuality for me looks like... Um, Honoring my ejaculation, right? Being a conscious ejaculator is what I like to say. Mm. Um, being mindful of like when I'm coming, uh, being mindful of like where I'm coming as well. Is it inside of my partner? Is it out in the bush, uh, giving it back to the land, right? Look, what am I doing with regards to my ejaculation? You know, that's one example. Another one could be like my, my body. Like how, how do I honor my body, right? I, I feel yeah. honoring honoring sensation, honoring pleasure, for me, feels like a sacred thing to do, right? Brings that sacredness, um, that kind of specialness, that, that idea that I'm taking it a bit more seriously, right? It's not just this thing that I'm going through the motions. Um, that kind of feels sacred to me and, and like honoring my body in that way um, is how I define sacredness um, for me personally. So when I work with clients and I explain to them like, hey, this is what sacredness is for me. Let's let's, you know, lean into your curiosity and find what sacred sexuality means for you personally, right? How do we, you know, and I'll guide them and give them some, you know, I'll, I'll share with them some practices and one might land for them, another practice might fall by the wayside, doesn't really resonate. So um, I'll guide them through, you know, uh, uh, I guess it's like a, a process of like learning, right? Learning about their sexuality, of developing more um, robustness and understanding about their sexual selves, um and and they develop their own understanding of sacred sexuality um based on what is sacred to them right and, hmm. and that can be totally different from from what i define it as so unfortunately it's very vague um, oh no, i i it's wouldn't say that it's it, individual
0: i wouldn't say that it's vague i would say that it's actually a very clear answer because i mean what you're saying here what, what i'm hearing at least is that there is not a specific answer for everyone and this is also what i constantly say to people is I mean, if Taoist Tantra is exactly what you want and you want to follow that lineage and it's exactly, it feels resonant with you, amazing. But it's very rarely that one lineage is exactly what you need. Many times, at least how I work is I take some things that resonate out of a certain lineage and then from other lineages as well. And so I I said this actually in one of my masterclasses recently. What I said is that recreate our own tantra we create our own sacred sexuality and it is just mm-hmm. confirms what you said here as well and now man i fucking love that i fucking love that and also it takes the pressure away the pressure because i'm sure people ask you all the time what is the exact practice how do i breathe in right before the orgasm is it up the spine into the heart and it's like of course we can go into the into different practices but there are infinite ways right there are infinite yeah. ways to to experience for instance energetic orgasms there is not one right way for everyone and that's why it's such a vague 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 um that's why it's also so difficult actually to teach about it in the most precise way because it would be then very dogmatic right
1: and and i do find that like teachers can fall into this trap of Mm. like if they're if they're following a really strong lineage right and they're they're adherent to it and that's what they teach of being like my tantra is better than your tantra yeah, man. my teachings are better than your teachings or mine's my path is the correct path and your path is is wrong like it's 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 okay but it's wrong right mine's better and i see teachers falling into that trap um and uh, like it's it's i think it comes from this place of like wanting to uphold their own lineage right like you know you you, you kind of standing up for what you believe in in a sense Um, so i empathize with where that kind of tendency comes from Mm. but i also also think it's really important to have some flexibility with your um (laughs) right because because like you have to intake new information right i try and reason why i reference a lot of journal articles and why i try and incorporate like the scientific um, information into my work is because that's constantly being updated, right? There's more information every, every week, every year about sexuality and the things that we're learning about ourselves and our body, right? Physiology, neurology, neuroplasticity, all this amazing stuff that we didn't know about thousands of years ago, right? We maybe, you know, thought about it in a different way, um, but we can, we can update our knowledge, right? We can update our teachings um, based on, on new evidence and based on new um, information. So that's, kind of what I try and do with regards to my teachings as well is like I'm happy to be I'm happy to be told I'm wrong right as long as you can prove that I'm wrong right as long as yeah. you have some evidence to to the contrary
0: yeah and also I believe I love what you're touching upon here is because also of course marketing wise it's much easier to say okay I teach you the step by step guide that you have an energetic orgasm this is the way and there is no other way But the harsh truth is, or not the harsh truth, the reality is it might be different for every single person because every single person has different blockages Um, feels for instance shame in a different area of their body it's not the same for everyone especially in the realms of emotion emotion is very very i mean i do a lot of um, emotional intelligence work with my clients body sensing and really getting aware of okay what's happening in their body being in your body which i think is one of the most important thing you touched upon it when it comes to making love being actually aware in your body being aware of what you're feeling and not just focusing on your genitals or on your mind and Mm -hmm but but still this is um i marketing wise i think that is one of the reasons and i love what you're saying here the, the honest truth is just okay it's it's a little bit more complex than that it's it's not yeah. it's not that easy it takes yeah. deep work it takes um also patience and time as well it's not just you learn this one practice and that's it and just something else that comes up here is is also there is i believe there is a huge escapism into these practices because when i first started I started with the book, um, the multi orgasmic man. I think that's how we all start, or most of us start. And I saw it like the holy bible, right? I experienced my first energetic orgasm, or multi orgasm, whatever how we want to call it. I was like, wow, that's it, you know? I found it, and that's it. But then, if you dig deeper into it, and and it's and you also start to realize, okay, wait a second, my um having an energetic orgasm or a full body orgasm just amplifies. The deeper rooted emotions within myself, like anger, shame. And then, and that was this kind of aha moment for me like, okay, wait a second. This is not the end. It's not just the end. Oh, yeah, I'll just get to this one thing and then, you know. And I think there's a lot of escapism also in the sense of, okay, when I experience that full body orgasm, then I'm kind of free or then I have achieved something. But at least in my perspective, it's just the beginning. What, what's what's your opinion about that, Prada?
1: Yeah, well, what I see, and one of the one of the reasons why I I, I teach and practice and, and offer the work that I do in the way that I do is because I saw like no middle ground, right? And what mm. I mean by this is you know there was guys, and this is me, this is my own life experience, hyper focused on fuck, I don't want to come too quickly, fuck, I hope I get an erection, fuck, I hope I you know pleasure her, I hope I give her orgasms, you know, very much like anxious about what was yeah. happening. And then I got into, you know, the, the, um, tantric practices and the Neo Tantra stuff and was like, I've got to breathe this way. I've got to have a fucking multi-orgasm. I've got to make sure that I (laughs) do this and I've got to like give her this particular orgasm by doing this technique. I I was still stressed out. I just transferred what I was worried about from from one thing to the other. And I was like, at what point am I just in the moment, enjoying the sex that I'm having, regardless of what it looks like. Regardless wow, of man. I or not. Um, and I was like, where's where's that teaching, you know, of being like, hey, just fucking have a good, pleasurable time. As long as it's consensual and you're both having a pleasurable experience, it doesn't really fucking matter what it looks like. Um, and that's like where I've drifted towards. I, I definitely swung from both ends. I was like, you know, like I said, I was hyper-vigilant about, you know, ejaculating um, too early. And that's why I got drunk when I had sex because I, I knew that if I drank a lot, I'd you know not come so quickly. That's just what happens when you drink. And then, you know, I, as soon as I started going into the sexuality practices, I was like hyper vigilant about doing these breathing exercises, not ejaculating for forty-five years or whatever the semen retention practices. Mm-hmm. And you know, and just became like really stressed out about that. And and I saw that <laughs> happening to guys. I wanted like just some regular, normal—I say quote unquote normal—but just like some down-to-earth education about sex and what's possible. And, and like, here's some practices that you can try to do to have just better sex. Like I'm, I'm not trying to teach people how to become sex gods and tantricas and <laughs> priestesses and, and, you know, whatever. Um, I just want people to have better sex and to connect a little bit better with each other. And, um, and so I think I, that's what's missing.
0: I love what you're saying here. And this is so crucial, brother. It's also, I believe there is so much ego also here involved, like in the, how long can I, Can I not ejaculate? And I experienced that in my journey as well. Like, wow, I made it over 40, 50 days. Ha, I'm so great. And if I look at the no fat movement, for instance, people, like, I think some of that stuff is really dangerous. Also, if you go in, if you think about on a a healthy level, it's like, I I think they call it hard mode or something like that in the no fat movement. And like, really, three, four, five years being completely celibate, not touching your cock a single time and priding yourself. And I'm sure that it puts you into a certain state of consciousness. I'm sure that it does something with you. I mean, you're keeping all that energy inwards. But also, I would say right now, which is kind of provocative, but I would say there is so much ego there, right? Because what you're saying here, it's you want to te- you teach men to just have better sex, to be in the moment, to enjoy that experience, to know, okay, I consciously ejaculate right now or not, and 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 that's it. That puts a whole really more a relaxed mindset around this. And right, sex should be fun. It should be pleasurable. It should be something, not something where you're like in this military. It shouldn't be like having a hard time in the gym. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean,
1: you hit the nail on the head, man. I've spoken about no fat before and like, I'm, I'm sure. And I don't want to minimize anyone's experience. I'm sure there's been some beneficial things that have come out of the no fat <laughs> movements. Right. Um, and I've spoken to people like that that have come from that and then they've gone from no fat into like the more spiritual semen retention yeah. practices and then they've transitioned to something else. But, um, but my opinion is that the no FAP movement, and also I also see this in like the semen retention community as well, is focusing on the wrong thing, right? Mm. They're focusing on the uh, on the detrimental effects of ejaculation, right? Ejaculation is really bad, right? There's a lot of ejaculation shaming in. Yeah, community. yeah, uh, man.
0: That. I, thank you so much for putting this into a word. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, and and so the what really like when I really kind of came to this light bulb moment of being like, whoa, what are th- all these, all this is, it's all negative, right? It's all mm. framed negatively. It's like, you, you can't do this. You can't do that. You shouldn't do this. This is wrong. This is bad. And so you've got to stop doing that. It's like, well, where's all the information about what you should be doing, what you can be yeah, doing, man. how healthy. It can be. And, and what really, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was when I started with my fiance trying for a baby, right? When I started like my ejaculation now, you know, um, not now, but you know, um, <laughs> ago, when we were when we were trying, was like like I've got a like I need a healthy relationship with my ejaculation. I'm I'm trying to consciously ejaculate here to consciously conceive with my partner, yeah. right, purposefully, intentionally. And if I've got this, you know, shame around ejaculation that's somehow wrong or that it's bad or that it's depleting me, right? Like I don't want like the conception of my child. I don't want it to be. A depleting act right i don't want to have <laughs> this feeling like my child is a parasite that's drawn all my energy out of me that's not a healthy <laughs> way at least in my opinion to think about bringing a kid into the world so so like reframing ejaculation was something that was really important for me um which is why instead of talking about semen retention right i actually don't talk about it a lot if at all really um what i instead talk about is like conscious ejaculation how can you instead of instead of thinking about semen retention practice can you have a conscious ejaculation practice? Well man. Right? And, I, and for me, I think that subtle difference in like, you know, even even on a psychological level, right? Like th- if I ask you, you know, don't think about a pink elephant, right? The first thing that's going to pop into your head is, is a fucking pink elephant. You've yeah, got to think about that thing in order to not think about it, right? Um, I forget what the psychological term is for it. But the same thing's happening with the no fat movement and the semen retention movement, right? It's like don't think about ejaculating, don't ejaculate. (laughs) The first thing you've got to do is like, oh God, I I, I better not ejaculate, right? You've got to think about ejaculating in order to not think about it. Mm. Um, and, And so instead of like framing things in that kind of double negative way, what I try and do is like bypass that totally and just say, hey, let's think about a conscious ejaculation. You know, what's your relationship with your ejaculation? Like how can you use it in a really beneficial way? How can you use it as a tool to release stagnant energy, to fill your cup up, you know, are you sharing it with your partner? You know, what's your consecration practice like? Are you gifting your ejaculate? All this stuff that's not yeah. been talked about in those communities is, is where I kind of think we kind of needs to head.
0: Fuck man. That's really, really deep embodied wisdom here. And I mean, this is also, this is the hard stuff. This is the deep work. This is not uh, And and I believe here it's again, it's the same thing. It's just human error of thinking. Um, Okay. I I find this one solution, right? We want this one solution. We want this one practice. We want this one thing to work out. And then it's just much easier to stay there than to stretch your mind constantly and be like, okay, wait a second. Cam Fraser might be wrong in something, but you're open to this. You learn again and again, and I believe that's the that that's I believe that is what a real teacher does. A real teacher constantly stretches their awareness, their consciousness, their heart, and also their mind. Of course, it's not just the heart to to new information and mm. and. It's just fucking powerful, man. What I wanna touch, I mean, there's so many things we can go into and I wanna have you again on the podcast definitely because in one episode we can never touch upon all these incredible things. But the other thing is I wanna talk about is porn. I mean, you already talked about um, it's all negative. You shouldn't do this. And, and, And especially in the sacred sexuality movement, there is this kind of talk, you shouldn't watch porn porn is bad. And before I go into this and I kind of um, say this is not the right mindset, at least in not my, not my opinion, I want to um, be in full integrity here and say, and say to the whole audience and also to you, brother, I used to say the same shit as well. So I used to say, I used to have the mindset, porn is bad. You should never watch it. Abandon it forever. Train yourself. Every time you want to watch porn, take a cold shower, do some push-ups, that kind of mindset. I, I don't know where exactly I adopted that. Um, but again, it's this kind of, which it's the kind of narrative that runs in the sacred sexuality movement. And that's, that's what I kind of adopted. And um, before, I mean, just before I ask you here, what I, I have actually shifted my mind about that. Because I mean, once I posted a post and said, okay, porn, there is, I, I posted a post around, there is no such thing as healthy porn usage which is extremely provocative and also very biased. It's extremely black and white. It's like dismiss the entire porn, everything. And and then people called me out and said, Hey, wait a second. There are conscious creators here. You are just dismissing all of these people. And what's your take on this brother?
1: Yeah. So this is a huge topic, man. I've been posting about it quite a lot. I've last seen that. Yeah. Fucking weeks, powerful. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's, um, and it, it's, it's it, you're right, it is provocative, right? People have very strong emotional reactions <laughs> to the, the conversation around porn, right? Because it's, yeah. it's oftentimes a very personal um, and it, 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 it comes from lived experience, right? A lot yeah. of people um, either have had some really problematic porn viewing habits. Uh, a lot of uh, people have had partners that have had really problematic porn viewing habits. So, um, so I don't want to say that that's not happening, right? I don't want to say that there hasn't been any... Um, detrimental effects of porn, right? Like I I don't want to dismiss any of the exploitation that's happening. I don't want to dismiss any of the um, videos that are being posted of people that are underage. Like I don't, like all that is happening without Mm. a doubt, right? Um, Having said all that, I'm not anti-porn, right? And the reason why is exactly why you shared is because it's not a black and white conversation. It's not good versus evil. It's not, uh, It's not anti-porn versus pro-porn, right? There's so much more nuance to this conversation which gets swept under the rug because we we approach it very emotionally, right? We we say it's really unhealthy, it's really bad and we point to these really horrible examples that are happening. Um, So having said that, I'm not anti-porn, I'm not pro-porn either because like I said, I don't support the things that are happening on these mainstream tube sites. I don't support (laughs) the unethical practices that are happening. So I can't call myself pro-porn because not all porn is created equal yeah. right? so so there has to be room for gray in this conversation which is where i feel i sit and 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 why i think a lot of people um, get really emotional about it's because they want to categorize me as either anti porn or pro porn similar to other teachers i'm not just saying here i'm just speaking from my own experience the last couple of weeks especially so um so i'll say like there there are healthy ways to watch porn right there are also there's also healthy porn out there as well right mainstream tube site porn which is um, produced very unethically not very fairly almost exploitatively um, in some cases very uh, is uh, and it's accessed f- for free on tube sites right if you're accessing something for free if you're not paying for a product if you're not paying for a service it's an unethical way of consuming it firstly um, and the the messages in those in those videos are not very healthy messages there's not a lot of diversity in the bodies there's not it's not very educative. Uh, it's not mutually pleasurable for the performers. Right, my whole course, Outperform a Porn Star, uses interviews and um, and uses video footage of like male performers saying how shit the sex that they're having on screen is because it's a wow. performance. Right? Um, a lot of a lot of female performers saying the same thing that the sex is not actually very pleasurable, they're just doing it because it looks good on camera. Um, so I don't and I so I don't advocate for that. I don't advocate for that type of porn. The type of porn that I do advocate for is what I would classify as ethical porn right sometimes it's called feminist porn um which is produced firstly it's produced ethically everyone gets paid a fair wage everyone gets treated with respect um and it's oftentimes produced for a different audience it's oftentimes not produced for that mass consumption it's usually independently produced by someone who doesn't have a huge conglomeration like brazzers or i don't even know what the other um porn companies are but um and, and the performers usually um, not all the time are are real life couples are couples that know each other's bodies that ask for consent on video that practice safe sex. They use condoms on the video. There's a beautiful website called make love, not porn, which is about amateur couples submitting, right? They, they film themselves and they submit these things. So it's all, it's all very consensual. It's all very above board and it's real couples having yeah. intimate connections. So there's a diversity of bodies in there. There's not, not every guy in the videos has 12 inch long penises. <laughs> not, not every woman in the videos has like enhanced breasts or whatever the yeah. typical you know, porn star body is. So there's a lot more inclusivity and variety and diversity in, these, in, in that porn, right? Which is beautiful. It's almost artistic, right? There's, there's um, this, like, this power in seeing people of, of different shapes and sizes be sexual because it has a healthy message, as people with disabilities in these um, videos often so so that's like what I would consider healthy porn right is ethical porn um, and then it's like there's also ways that you can consume healthy right I don't think the way men I say men here because that's the work that I do um, obviously women non-binary folk they all consume porn as well um, in different degrees but the way men are consuming porn is not beneficial right it's not healthy and I've talked about the type of porn they're consuming and whether it's ethical or not, but also like how they're using that porn is not very healthy. A lot of guys like me right now are sitting at a computer screen, (laughs) hunched over with their cock in one hand and their mouse in the other and they're scrolling through their favorite tube site. They're they're very visual. They're they're not connected to their body at all. They're just kind of jerking off like a chimpanzee. (laughs) They're they're, they're going through the motions, right? Um, That's not a very beneficial way to... Use porn, right? I'm, I'm, I'm. What I'm getting at here is the reframe of porn as a tool, right? Rather than it being this thing that we outsource our arousal and our pleasure to. What if we can use it as a? I've got a bunch of sex toys in front of me. What if we use porn as a, as a tool, as a toy, as a something to amplify our pleasure, something to amplify our our arousal? What if we build up a healthy relationship with the porn that we're using? by changing how we use it so i often share to guys look put your laptop screen up on a shelf and stand up get up feel your body like get into a, a you know a power stance and, and start to like you know breathe you know actually like listen to how you're breathing when you're watching this porn um you know d- touch the rest of your body you know there's um a beautiful practice uh, by joseph kramer called porn yoga which is you know wow All the elements of like a a stereotypical yoga practice like bring that into the to your masturbation bring that into your self-pleasure even the reframe of masturbation to self-pleasure is really important here as well rather than just going through that stereotypical way that i just described about masturbating self-pleasuring could be it doesn't even doesn't have to involve your cock doesn't even have to involve your genitals it's just whatever you find pleasurable in that moment Um, Mm. and so like these these conversations and this nuance is is missing from the porn conversation right mm. um I, I also talk about how like you can listen to porn porn's actually very it's very um auditory as well so you know close your screen down or put your screen on black plug your headphones in and listen to the porn right is that are we are we saying that's a bad thing as well if we're using porn you know that way if it's you know if it's still ethical like does it is it because we're watching it that it's a bad thing or what if we start listening yeah. to it and we use a different sense like that is a conversation that's not being had as well, right? And all yeah. this gets missed out on when we start saying porn is all bad or all porn is good. There's no room for any conversations, unfortunately. Wow, man.
0: That is definitely the most powerful way I've ever heard someone describe about healthy porn usage and also and the most powerful opinion I've ever heard about porn because I relate to this so deeply, brother. And I, I believe the difficulty is there, there are two things, or probably more, but there are two things which are, which, are which, which is why this conversation is so tricky. Because you have guys, for instance, like me, who very at an early age found porn, and then realized, whoa, it fucked up my perception about women. And then it easily goes into this mindset, all oh, porn is bad. And then there is also no room, because if someone then says, well, but there is healthy, no, it isn't, because I experienced this and it isn't. And I think the big, one of the biggest other things is also our perception of what cheating means. And what I mean by that is, and I'm sure you've heard of this, but when your partner, for instance, you're in a committed relationship, let's say you're in a committed relationship, monogamous relationship, and your partner watches porn and and, and, and you catch them watching porn, how how would you feel? You know, and, and, and I believe that is a conversation that we're also not having. Is is this shame, first of all, shame around our own usage and also about the idea, oh, wait a second, my partner does find other people attractive, but my ego can't deal with that because my ego, and I noticed this in my system as well, my ego would be like, I want my woman only for myself, shouldn't be attracted to anyone else. But that's just absolute nonsense. So so I I, I see that it resonates with you, but I would love your take on this.
1: Totally, man. So like, that, you know, another... Another branch or another layer of these conversations, as you said, is like how when you're in a relationship, how does your partner view? Firstly, how does how does your partner view masturbation? Right, like yeah. your partner walked in on you masturbating, <laughs> watching without without any porn. Like, how yeah, that, how would that feel? You know, does that does that count as cheating? Like, what's your opinion on that as a partner? And then also, yeah, what's your what's your partner's you know view on you watching pornography? And then like what what about watching pornography together as well? Mm. You know, like, there's couples that take uh, inspiration from from porn as well. You know, there's, there's, they might see something and go, oh, we should try that. We haven't done that position before. We haven't, yeah. haven't tried this particular, you know, um, sex act or what it, whatever it might be. But also there might be an opportunity for um, someone to, you know, when they're self-pleasuring, to, to explore a fetish that their partner is not particularly into or to explore some sort of um, kink that they might have, mm. which uh, they don't have, an, uh, maybe they don't have the opportunity to act it out right you might have a fantasy about um, you know a particular thing that is actually not available to you in reality you know and and so it gives you an outlet to explore that it gives you an opportunity to to dive into that in a in a healthy way right you're not hurting anyone <laughs> if you're watching porn ethically of course like you're not hurting anyone so um, so there's like all these extra layers that conversation when a when a partner is involved as well and, and so like taking your partner's um, Opinion about pornography into consideration is really important, and Mm. having those open conversations uh, about, firstly, just about like masturbation in a relationship—like, does that count as cheating? Is it realistic to to think that your partner is the sole person responsible for meeting your sexual needs? You know, like Mm. I I firmly believe that you know masturbation in a relationship is healthy, right? You you've got to spend time, at least you know some portion of the time with yourself and and cultivating your own sexuality and exploring your own, your own body by yourself. So like all those conversations as well need to be had.
0: And it's, it's so incredible because even when I'm having these conversations, I mean, I'm dropping in more and more in, in a sense of uh, having a relaxed in a, being in a relaxed state. And we just have a couple of minutes longer here. I'm not going to keep you here, brother. Um, just, I'm getting to a more relaxed state about talking about these things. But even right now talking about this, I can feel a certain edge also in my body. Not that I, I would say I'm stressed and anxious, but I can feel an edge because the topics we're talking about are so, so big, such a big part in the shadow of our collective, such a, and, and like you say, there's such heavy reactions as well. Just using the last couple of minutes here, brother, I want to talk about one last thing, just the last couple of minutes. You mentioned you mentioned many times about anal play and anal pleasure for men. And I'd love to hear your take on this because it's just fantastic.
1: Sure, man, sure. So um, I'm a big advocate for men, uh, particularly straight guys, because there's a lot of taboo and stigma around straight men, exploring their anus exploring their um ano eroticism um because of this i guess like because of this internalized homophobia for one then there's also this um idea that it's going to hurt right and then there's this um other layer which is that it's gross and it's disgusting um so there's there's a few hindrances or roadblocks to men straight men exploring their their anus and um and and without going too deep into those specifically one of the reasons why i think it's really beneficial for guys to start penetrating or you know exploring their prostate particularly wow, is yeah. um it, i mean the two major reasons first is like you have the opportunity to experience a prostate orgasm which is the best
0: woman <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, just no, the best
1: it's, it's way more full-bodied it's way more oh. diffuse it's not so localized and also because of the way that the nervous system is wired A prostate orgasm doesn't involve an ejaculation. So if you're interested in multi-orgasms, right, this is never touched on in Mantak Chia's book, but if you want to have a multi-orgasmic experience, one of the easiest ways you can do that is have a prostate orgasm because it doesn't Mm. involve an ejaculation. So there's no refractory period, so you can have another one and another one and another one until you feel like you're done. So that's like one one main reason, I suppose, um, is the prostate orgasms and the, uh, the opportunity to experience those. But another really um, potent, powerful reason that I, at least in my opinion, um, talk about uh, prostate stimulation and anal play about is you learn what it's like to be penetrated, right? If you're if you're a heterosexual guy and you've your whole life you've you've, you've had sex with with women and you've always penetrated them, right? You, you know, it's typically what we think of as, is penis and a vagina intercourse, um, very common, but if you've never had your skin barrier crossed right if you've never physically anatomically been penetrated i mean you're not fully aware of what it's like right you 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 can't you, you like you, you physically can't empathize with your female partner because you haven't you you haven't experienced what she's experienced so one of the things that i am a big believer in and there's a little bit of scientific evidence to kind of back this up is men who experience anal penetration who experience you know pleasurable prostate play anal penetration who who explore that part of their body learn what it's like to be penetrated and by doing that they become better penetrators right And and this is because you learn how to slow down you learn how to relax right you've got to be pretty relaxed in order to put something up your ass so um, yeah and you learn you learn how much lube is necessary as well Mm. Uh, you you learn the energetics of it as well like how gentle how subtle you kind of need to be to start with how much warming up you might need um which translates directly into what your partner needs for the most part um when she's being penetrated by you so you can literally start to empathize with with what it is that she needs Mm. um and, and so that's like, a, I'm a big proponent in, in that being a, a key reason why guys should experience penetration, even if it's just a couple of times, even if it's not your, even if it's not something that you particularly enjoy in the long term, like experiment with it just so that you know what it's like to be penetrated so that you have the, um, so you have that knowledge when you then, you know, the embodied knowledge, the experiential knowledge. So that when you go and penetrate your partner you've, you can kind of lean on that experience
0: fuck yeah man i would say it's an embodied experience of surrender and that the thing that stands out the most from what you said it makes you a better penetrator it makes you a better lover and totally. that's just incredible because of course there's this fear of being gay and just to share and to back up what what cam is saying here i can back this up personally my experience it was like when my, when my woman told me that she wanted to do that with me and that she wanted to explore that, my first reaction was, wait a second, I literally said, I'm not gay. But then in that moment, I called myself and she called me out as well. I was like, wait a second, what kind of mindset is that? And the funny thing is, just like Cam just said, when you start opening up to that, surrendering to that, letting that be part, not all the time, but as often as you want to, it makes you, It. I would even say it, deepens your masculine core it deepens your awareness your presence and your ability to empathize with her yeah man so i can i will have you again on the podcast i know that for sure and we i I could talk endlessly with you i could talk we could talk for 10 hours and (laughs) but this is just these are the conversations we need to be having more with our partners with our brothers with everyone right because having these conversations is is just healing because we heal the sexual shadow and i believe this whole podcast right now is part of that healing the sexual shadow
1: Mm, yeah man thank you so much for having me on and and having a platform to have these conversations dude like just and for being another guy that's talking (laughs) like i said there needs to be more of us out there
0: brother it's an honor it's an honor to have had you on the podcast thank you so much for being here
1: no worries at all man